You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Mark Holcraft, filling in for Matt Wilkham and Father Jason Kern. So, and these are people from the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. So, speaking of the Diocese of Winona, Rochester, our next guest, Jenna Cooper, also works in the diocese. Good morning, Jenna. How are you? Morning. I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, Jenna, can you share us share with us a little bit, share with our listeners, uh, what do you do and where you come from? Okay. Well, so I'm um, live from my office here in Winona, Minnesota. I'm a canon lawyer, and uh, this is a small diocese, so I do a little bit of everything canon law related. My main job is I administer the day-to-day operations of our marriage tribunal. Um, I'm also a judge on the tribunal, and I'm available just to talk about the marriage nullity process with anyone who has questions. I also answer random canon law questions that come up within the diocese from different departments, um, questions from parishes, or even sometimes just regular people in the pews call in because they have a question for sure. me. So I, I do a lot of a bunch of different things. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Jenna. I, uh, as you said, you're in a small diocese, and so you have, uh, you didn't say the phrase, but you wear a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, too, I, when I was in parish youth ministry and then uh, for a brief stint in diocesan youth ministry, um, I was in the Diocese of Crookston, which is also in our listening area. And a small diocese, uh, small in number, not small in size, pretty good size geographically, um, but definitely. So you would be what I would call a slasher. Multiple responsibilities and slasher. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that sounds a little violent for no, uh, Minnesota. That does, that's true. That's funny. I've never thought of it as violent, but it, it's a good point. <laughs> I, I was going to say a Jill of all trades, but I don't want to be a master of none. So There you go. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's so funny. That sounds, even when you said it sounds violent. I was just coming back from our, our, the conversations we've had this morning. So isn't it interesting how culture can shape us even in... The silly perspectives. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'm, I'm actually from the metro New York area. That's where I grew up. So um, so rural Minnesota was a little bit of an adjustment, but it definitely has its perks. No doubt. So um, I'm from California, kind of suburban California. And so a question I get a lot is what brought you to Minnesota? Or what brought you to North Dakota? Um, because, of course, the extreme in, you know, you picture California sunshine mm-hmm. and maybe lack thereof <laughs> North Dakota, uh, particularly the winters. So what, what brought you from uh, uh, New York to Minnesota? Uh, well, love of the Lord and God's providence and a desire to serve his church. So how's that for the <laughs> good answer? Praise God. No, it is. I, I, was, I actually came here specifically to do this job, and um, I've loved it ever since. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and that is a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> The love of the Lord compels us to do, uh, to do amazing things, and it's so good. Because uh, it's really, I mean, it's the work of the Lord, huh? Oh, absolutely. Um, I know people think of canon lawyers as just heartless bureaucrats in our offices, and, and it can be like that on a bad day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, um, so much of what I do, um, even if it's very technical and even if it's just paperwork, it's always, it always has a pastoral angle. It's always to bring people to the truth and help them encounter our Lord. And um, one of a canon lawyer's favorite um, aspects of the code is the very last line in the code of canon law talks about how the salvation, the salvation of souls is the highest law. So that's um, that's really what informs everything we do here. Amen to that. Amen to that. I I uh, 
I can imagine there's a lot of stories you can oh. tell. Well, I can't. Well, there's a lot of stories I can't tell them yeah, because yeah. of confidentiality <laughs> no, exactly. reasons. <laughs> exactly. Well, one of the stories is a curious case of the priest who was not baptized. Oh, uh, right. So tell, tell us about that. Well, um, and just as a disclaimer, that did not happen in the diocese. This was actually a, a national news story. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. sharing anything I'm not supposed to share. Good, um, good point, good point. But just, just to make that clear. Um, but, yeah, so the story, um, and there's a, I don't know quite where to begin, but um, so in uh, over the summer, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is like the department in Rome, it's called a dicastery that oversees uh, you know, questions about, you know, finer doctrinal points, and, um, you know, sometimes they answer liturgical questions. Um, they gave an answer to a question from, I believe it was a German bishop, I'm not exactly sure, about whether or not um, baptizing in the plural, so basically saying we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to I baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, whether or not that was invalid, meaning the baptism didn't work, or whether it was just illicit, meaning you weren't supposed to do that, but you're still baptized. And the answer actually came back that it was um, invalid. So if you baptize in the first person plural, um, like on behalf of the community, as opposed to on behalf of the person who's actually baptizing, that that baptism just doesn't work. The person who set out to receive baptism just wasn't baptized. So um, that's, you know, kind of a big deal. Um, but backtracking a little bit, so we've all been internationally in lockdown since the spring, yeah. and there was a young priest, and, you know, during lockdown, apparently his parents were doing some, you know, uh, deep cleaning of the house, and they found his baptismal video from when he was an infant, and he watched it, and he noticed that he was baptized. The deacon who baptized him said, we baptize. And uh, at the time, that was before the CDS came out with this clarification, and uh, he talked to some of his, uh, I guess, seminary professors, and the thought was, well, okay, the Church hasn't come out with an answer on this, so it's you know, the Church always presumes sacraments are valid until proven otherwise. But then, you know, a few months later, this came out with uh, from Rome that we baptized was actually invalid. So this poor guy, um, he was, you know, thought he was ordained a priest for three years, and as it turns out, he wasn't actually baptized. His baptism wasn't valid. And what that unfortunately meant is that since baptism is the foundation of the other sacraments, meaning you can't receive other sacraments if you're not in the first place a baptized Christian, um, what that meant was that um, his confirmation wasn't valid and his ordination wasn't valid, meaning that he wasn't actually a priest. And this had some ripple effects, because if you're not really a priest, then all the Masses that you tried to celebrate weren't actually celebrated, and all the confessions you heard, um, the person wasn't actually absolved, and etc., etc. Um, although, ironically, uh, the baptisms that this priest actually did at when he thought he was a priest, were valid, because the cool thing about baptism is that's um, one sacrament that you don't need to be ordained to administer validly. So as long as the person who's baptizing intends to do what the Church intends and uses the right form, meaning, you know, the words of the prayer and the right matter, which is water, sure, then that's a valid baptism. So that's one saving grace in this. But, um, but yeah, it was a uh, kind of a problem. And so 
his diocese handled it. Um, and, you know, when you're a canon lawyer, you read these news stories with a very critical eye, and his diocese handled it, I think, as well as anyone possibly could have. So we approached them right away. Um, they, um, you know, they baptized him right away. He received his first Holy Communion. He was confirmed, made a retreat, was ordained a deacon, and then uh, ordained a priest. And that all. So I think this guy has probably the record for most number of sacraments received in a two-week period. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I can't verify that, but that that's my hunch. And, yeah. Um, a couple of my canon lawyer colleagues I was talking to about this pointed out like a few historical cases, and I'm like, okay, well, for this millennium, I think yeah, he has yeah. the record. <laughs> um, and then the uh, the diocese in question did some educational materials, and then um, you actually, for something like this, have to do, I guess we kind of nicknamed it sacramental contact tracing, because then anyone, um, you know, you have to go back and make sure that... Uh, anyone that this priest confirmed with permission from the bishop had to be reconfirmed, and some of the marriages had to be investigated to make sure the marriages were valid. Well, that's what I was going to ask, is what does that mean for all the sacraments that he administered and for those people? Um, yeah. So, like you said, there was a, a kind of uh, virtual tracing back, and um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on perspective, we all know that phrase now <laughs> uh, from COVID. So, uh, what did happen? Well, like I said, this wasn't here, so I'm yep, yep. not acquainted with all the details, but from what was made public, and from what I would know as a canon lawyer, so the baptisms that he did were valid, so that's actually fine. Um, you know, the marriages, uh, and this is a field day for canon lawyers, because it really would need to be evaluated case by case whether the marriages he did were valid or not. Um, there were some confirmations he did, and it's unusual for priests to do confirmations, but, you know, sometimes right. on the Easter Vigil. So those people had to be contacted and um, reconfirmed. And then a big thing was uh, the Masses that he celebrated weren't actually real Masses. And a lot of times, if there's a priest in a parish, people give donations for a Mass stipend for a particular intention, and the Church t- takes that extremely seriously. So... If a priest can't celebrate a Mass for which he's accepted a stipend for an intention, he has to make sure that Mass is celebrated somehow. So all the Masses that he was supposed to have celebrated had to be um, re-celebrated, basically, or celebrated for the first time. And that didn't have to be necessarily him. And like I said, I don't know how they handled all of that. But um, So I suppose one saving grace in this is that he wasn't ordained for all that long. So I can't imagine somebody ordained 25, 50 years having to go back and right. trace all the Masses they ever thought they said. Yeah. And then um, the deacon who uh, attempted baptism of this priest in the first place, I, I know the diocese did go back and, you know, publish the deacon's name so anyone who had thought they were baptized by him could investigate their situation and make sure it wasn't a similar kind of deal. It, it is. It's so interesting, and I'm sure it raises a lot of questions, even concerns, um, and again, I you know earlier I was talking about the importance of context, uh, to to know context and to learn context because it can really help form and shape questions that we'd have instead of just reacting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it can be so easy to react uh, without knowing the whole story or even part of the story, and this can be really easy to let the mind wander uh, and kind of go off go off on a on a tangent. Um, but what I've what I've certainly encountered. Uh, when it comes to, you know, it, the, the the mistakes made knowingly, unknowingly within the church, uh, God sees it all. What are the graces we can receive, and what can we learn from this? Well, um, on a 
kind of my inner cynical New Yorker coming out, we can learn that it's not good to futz around with the words as they're printed in the rubrics when you're administering sacraments. Amen. So that's yeah. one very, very, very practical thing, which I, I think everybody involved has sufficiently learned, so we don't need to hammer home that point. Um, you know, one thing I think we can uh, take away, well, there's, there's a couple different things. So this is a good chance to, I think, remember that our sacramental theology is actually a science um, in the sense, in the classical sense of what science means, in the sense that sacraments are an objective thing that the Lord has given us, and they're not just uh, a form of self-expression. They don't change according to our moods. You know, God gives us these sacraments, um, you know, to represent real grace that's actually happening in, you know, as objective a way as any other, you know, natural thing we can observe in, in a certain sense. Um, so, uh, it, so to me personally, the reality of sacramental grace is, is a very profound thing that, that I find moving. Um, you know, on another level, we can also remember that we're, you know, custodians of the sacraments as a church. We're not the author of them. God's the author of sacraments. So we can remember that these are gifts that we have received. You know, there's something very, um, as you, I, I'm intrigued by the word you used, we're custodian. We're custodians of, of the sacraments, if you will. Um, you know, the, the, I think the Latin root word for it's custodian uh, also trans, it's, translates to mean uh, protector oh, okay? exactly. and, and uh, keeper. And so that we are a protector and keeper of the sacraments. Um, not in the same fashion, right, that the a priest would be, you know, the minister of the sacraments, if you will. Uh, but that there's a, there's a calling within that. Yeah. Well, even, um, you know, obviously priests are ministers of the sacraments in ways that lay persons aren't. But, you know, um, the sacraments really belong to the whole church. So we're all part of this body, even if we have different functions in a different ways. Right. And actually, another um, very interesting theological point that was emphasized that, you know, I never considered before, that, but was brought about with this whole scenario is, the reason why it's I baptize and not we baptize is, you know, when people would say we baptize, it was this idea that, okay, it's the whole Christian community that baptizes you, not just this one individual. Um, but that's, that's wrong. It doesn't happen that way. But when somebody says I baptize, it's not this clericalist thing. It's the person administering baptism is actually standing in the place of Christ. So at that exactly. poem, that Christ is the one who's really conferring this grace and baptizing ultimately. And, um, and like I said, that was something that I never really thought of before. I never had occasion to. Probably a lot of people didn't have occasion to. But that's actually a very beautiful aspect of what we believe. Uh, ex- absolutely. Absolutely. That the sacraments uh, uh, come in and through Jesus Christ. You know, it's so, uh, it's so important. And even that, if I can use that as a, I don't know, a launching pad is the right word. But um, one of the things that stands out to me as you were talking, Jenna, is... The importance, not just to the attention of the attention to detail, but in sometimes what we consider to be little matters or mm-hmm. small matters, are in the eyes of the church, um, even what seems to be small matters, are a big deal. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, earlier I was talking with one of our guests, and we were discussing sacramentals and sacraments. Uh, the, the sacramentals are a big deal. They confer grace upon us as well. You used that word earlier, conferring grace. Um, and so even, you know, uh, within, if, it's, if, we're, if we're present 
to whether receiving the sacrament ourselves or even just being present at a sacramental occasion. You know, if we're present to the sacrament of matrimony, if we're present even to an anointing of the sick, if we're, even if we're not being the one anointed, um, we're, we're present to grace. We're receiving grace ourselves. And this is a great gift. It's not something to be taken light, but it is something intended to be received. So this is a little bit of a curveball to throw your way, Jenna, but because uh, we're, get, we're getting close to the end of our time with you. Uh, what would you encourage us with, or any final thoughts for that matter, but in regards to just that, that idea of the disposition, what would you encourage us with in regards to um, the little things, you know, quote-unquote the little things that aren't so little? Oh, wow. I, you know, I think maybe just to... A, approach the sacraments um, with an attitude of openness and, you know, with little things, you know, paying attention to little things and just being open to what the Church is teaching us through them, I, th- I think that's a good way to approach the sacraments in the life of the Church. Um, and also, if I could just get a little bit of a PSA in, I know a lot of times um, I got a lot of concerns from people about, okay, well, this happened, how do I know that my own baptism... Yeah, please do, it? yeah. <laughs> so, um... You know, what happened to this priest, I mean, the reason it is such a big story is that it's exceedingly rare. So, um, as I said earlier, the Church presumes that sacraments are valid until proven otherwise. And most clergy are always very, very careful to do the important aspects of the sacraments the way they're supposed to be done. So, this isn't likely. So, you know, the only time you would really need to be concerned about this is if you have some specific reason why you might have a concern. So with this priest, you know, he saw this video and noticed the words were different. So, you know, if, for example, you see a video of your baptism and it's, we baptize, um, okay, maybe then you'd be concerned. Or if you were baptized, say, by somebody who was known to have messed up the formula. Um, and in that case, all you would really need to do is talk to your pastor and, it, you know, this, these are things that can be sorted out. Um, but this is not something for, you know, 99.5% of Catholics to lose sleep over. Right, right. Well, it's important. It's important to acknowledge that. Uh, because, again, it can just be easy uh, to allow ourselves to get carried away. Yeah. Um, and I don't, even, I don't mean to say that in such a negative way, you know, but um, to respond to the distraction when really, I mean, there's something here for us to learn, and that's what we've been discussing. Um, I'm here with... Uh, uh, Jenna from the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. She uh, is a keeper of many trades regarding canon law for the diocese. Um, we, we did uncover that. Maybe the word slasher is not appropriate. <laughs> um, and she is sharing with us uh, the story about the priest who was not baptized and really its implications. Um, and it's been, it is a story kind of, of, of wonder. Um, and it's very unusual, very unusual. And I think that's uh, very important <laughs> to note and to highlight. Um, but even within the story of the very rare and unusual, um, the Lord is hidden in it, right? There's, there, in it, whether it's, it's not necessarily one of the <laughs> traditional mysteries of the faith, uh, <laughs> but it is, uh, it's, myster- it's mysterious in how God is hidden in it, but what he wants to reveal to us. And if nothing else, what's been revealed to us is Within the church, the little things are not necessarily little. Uh, any final words, uh, Jenna? Oh, well, uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm always happy to talk about canon law. And, you know, I, um, 
even I think one other thing to take away is that even in really horrible situations or difficult situations like this undoubtedly was for this priest, you know, God's providence is at work. And, you know, we have to trust that, as the epistle says, everything works for the good of those who love God. So I think that's probably the biggest thing to take away from this, is that even in difficult situations um, where it might seem like God wasn't active, he might even be active in a deeper way that will touch and redeem more people. So I guess that's my closing thought. No, amen. And Jenna Cooper, thank you so much uh, for your time with us, being willing to reach out. Um, Jenna Cooper from the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. Um, please stay with us for more of Real Presence Live after the break. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. If you are experiencing depression, anxiety, or suffering, especially from grieving, how can you find healing? I'm Father Chris Alar. While you should first seek professional help when needed, there is a roadmap that can help you to live your life again, and it is called the Spiritual Principles of Divine Mercy. First, come to admit that you are powerless over the loss of your loved one. Second, come to trust that Jesus can restore your life to manageability. And third, make the decision to entrust your will, your life, and your loved one to the loving care and protection of God. Join us and learn more about how to apply these healing principles in your life. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Mark Holcraft here as your host, filling in for Matt Wilcom and Father Jason Kern. Uh, Father Jason and Matt, are they're from the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. I'm filling in from the Diocese of Fargo. Very exciting, our versatility here at Real Presence Radio. <laughs> um, if you missed uh, much of our show this morning, we were very blessed with guests. Uh, Susie Andres, uh, calling in from California. Uh, what Should Every Catholic Know? Based on a book that she wrote. And then after her, we had Bill and Nancy Banzuk, uh, calling in from uh, Minnesota. 
Uh, also, in their, their work in an apostolate called Catholic Sprouts, uh, and working on a kind of tied into Catholic Sprouts, working on a project, Domestic Church Project is what it's called. Uh, and finally, we just had Jenna Cooper from the Diocese of Winona, Rochester, sharing with us uh, the very unusual story of the priest who was not baptized, um, but has since received just a load of the sacraments. Um, and so, uh, but all these things, you know, what do, what do we discover? I'm a guy who likes to work with themes. I enjoy themes. I was telling Therese this the other day, like, I'm going to sit with this and just uh, see, uh, you know, and sometimes it's just a grace to synthesize, to summarize, if you will, because it becomes, I think, an easier point for me to pray on. Um, and, and, and as I shared earlier today, I'm also a visual person. Uh, so maybe you find yourself as your visual person, or maybe that's, you can relate to that. Um, but there's been a couple of themes that have surfaced for us today, I think. Um, and in, and in turn, what I was praying into leading into today, uh, just the, the work of evangelization. Okay. Duh. We're real presence radio. <laughs> we, we are an apostolate, an evangelical apostolate, if you will. Uh, evangelical, not in the denominational term, but evangelical in its truest term, uh, evangelization. Uh, but in light of today, the theme, really, uh, domestic church is what surfaced, not just be, uh, from our second guest, um, but coming like to know the faith, to know the faith, and how the domestic church as a family is going to be the premier avenue of coming to know the faith. And I think this would be true, this is certainly true of my own experience you know, I'm a cradle Catholic, as they say, right? I grew up Catholic my whole life. Um, and one of the experiences that I can speak to for my own encounter with the Lord and, and in coming to know about the Lord and coming to know about the, the teachings of the church, you know, I went, I grew up going to CCD. Uh, uh, you know, depending where you are in a listening area, you CCD, religious ed, faith formation, these different terms, but essentially the same idea, right? Cate- catechesis. I grew up going uh, one day a week after school. We went to Mass on Sundays. Um, when I was younger, we didn't go necessarily regularly, to be honest. I don't remember that. It's some of my older siblings. I'm one of 11 kids, number 10 out of the 11. They kind of have shared some things in their own story of God's grace, and their own journey, journey with the Lord, what they remember. And part of that is we didn't go to Mass necessarily regularly uh, until my mom and dad had a conversion. Uh, my mom and dad and by that conversion, uh, which is probably another sub-theme today. Uh, we've mentioned conversion a few times. Uh, really just an encounter with the Lord that you are changed, right? And it's one of those, you cannot help but be changed when you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ and you've allowed yourself to, to engage Jesus Christ. Um, and that was certainly the case for my mom and dad. Uh, my dad went on a retreat, uh, very similar to a retreat in this area called Crucio, I was a different title, but this is a very similar idea when I lived in California. In turn, he, uh, he just, he knew the Lord was calling him that he was called to more as a Catholic man and as a husband and as a father. And somewhere within that uh, internal conversion for him, he had asked my mom for forgiveness. Uh, and in turn, that led to our family moving out of the East Bay, Bay Area of California, uh, stayed in California, but more inland, and just changed. We went to Mass regularly. Uh, we went to confession more regularly, and, and frankly, I do remember the, that. Um, my dad started leading us in praying the family rosary uh, every night. Um, 
I think from what I remember, we prayed the rosary from when I was uh, fourth or fifth grade until my dad died when he was in ninth grade. Um, but that certainly left a kind of legacy for me um, in uh, to continue to pray the rosary as a part of my own life, uh, to continue to know Mary, uh, and which in turn opened the door to knowing more about the saints. Um, but my point to all this really is the life of the family, the importance of the domestic church. It can never be underestimated. And I don't know that it can ever be uh, touted too much. The importance of uh, coming to know the faith through the family. Like I said, I went to CCD. I went to religious ed um, when I was in high school. It wasn't until like my last month really of high school that I started going to youth group, which is unusual. You don't usually start to go to youth group right before you graduate high school. Um, but I went, that was, apparently that's when I was ready to, to start doing it. Um, but it was in, frankly, it was when I prayed the rosary with the family and the conversations that surfaced before we prayed the rosary and after we prayed the rosary with my mom and dad leading the way that I learned far more about my Catholic faith. I far, learned far more about the Catholic faith. That's when I learned um, around just some of, the, some of the mysteries, some of the parts of the church that are more devotional. Um, I learned about... The, the Marian apparitions, uh, Eucharistic miracles, um, which frankly captured my imagination and it stirred a curiosity to want to know, um, well, what I would have said at the time was I would want to know the more boring stuff then. <laughs> you know, what does the church teach? You know, because my imagination was captured. Um, you could say uh, at that point in a certain way, even if I didn't really understand the ramifications, if you will, uh, the Lord had my heart. Um, and so going into my senior high school, I uh, started going to youth group and a, a decision that I would never have realized is that I never turned back. And in that regard, uh, what I mean by that is I ended up staying involved in youth ministry of some sort for the next 20 plus years. Um, and I do credit all of that with the Lord's doing for me right back to the reality of my mom and dad leading us in the family rosary. Uh, the domestic church can never be underestimated or touted too much. Um, so this is, I would definitely say, a theme today. What we heard from Susie, uh, first guest, so important. She and her husband uh, taking a leap of faith, going where they felt the Lord was calling them to go, uh, to come encounter the Lord in these different settings, only to go back to California to bring the good news. Uh, Bill and Nancy, Catholic Sprouts, uh, the Holy Spirit really stirring in them from their own vulnerability. They, they felt unequipped as parents to pass on the faith. And they surrendered that to the Lord, and the Lord is doing a profound work in them through Catholic sprouts. And then finally, we hear of Jenna Cooper discussing the story of the priest, whom I would imagine much of his story um, goes right back to what he encountered within, within his own family life growing up and nurturing that, that seed, uh, the seed to holiness, the seed to that vocation as a priest. Um, uh, the, so the family life, uh, a life of prayer. Um, I think I said it before during our fall live drive, Father Peyton, the family that prays together, stays together, and he's most noted for fostering that devotion to the rosary. Um, there's something very central about the family praying and the family praying the rosary and invoking on Mary's intercession. Uh, as we uh, get ready, right before we go into a short break, that's my encouragement to you, uh, uh, for you moms and dads out there, I'm right there with you. Um, my wife, Meredith, and I, we have six kids. Um, every night, we try 
to make a prayer a place of priority, um, not only uh, in doing it, but in doing it at the central part of our home, right in our living room. We don't have a TV in our living room uh, because we do have a TV, but not there because it doesn't deserve that place of prominence. And that's my encouragement to you is that not only to pray, but making a place of prayer the priority. Yeah, so on our next Real Presence Live, that's Wednesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, host Father John Rutten and Heather Carroll will be coming to you live from St. John Paul II Church in Harrisburg. They'll visit with Jake Jorgensen about taking a leap into his faith. Then Father John Rutten will continue his story about where our Lord took him after his struggle with alcoholism. And Earl Markley will join us to talk about spreading the faith with billboards. All that and much more will be coming up on the next Real Presence Live, Wednesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to, back to you. Thanks, Therese. I, I had to imagine, or for a listener, you just heard my voice, and all of a sudden went to Therese's voice, because I didn't introduce her. <laughs> um, which, okay, so God bless you for that. <laughs> um, so good. So good for our guests coming for the rest of this week with Real Presence Live. You know, uh, Therese gave a, a quick shout out to Father John Rutten, uh, him sharing part of his story. This is the beauty of our church uh, in the sense that the body of Christ, us, um, in our brokenness is proof that God is at work because he uses us in our brokenness. And this has been the story throughout all of scripture. <laughs> this, is, uh, this, this is our timeline folks. This is our timeline is to use us, that the Father would use us, his children, to do his work as we strive to be faithful and we stumble and we fall and we get back up. Um, And this is the story of the saints. Um, I heard that long ago that the difference between the saints uh, and the rest of us is the saints were the ones that continue to get back up. Amen. So this, this this is our pursuit and our path to holiness and God willing uh, even if it is not officially pronounced from a future pope, <laughs> the idea of us being a saint, um, this is our call. When we fall, to get back up. How do we do that? Stay close to the sacraments. Uh, and this is, again, it is not a new idea. This is not a new thing for the church. This has been our, our beck and call from the beginning. Stay close to the sacraments because it is the gifts that Jesus Christ has given us in and through his church. So I invite you, my brothers and sisters, uh, thank you for being with us. We're going to close in prayer. I invite you to pray with me. It's a prayer that I love. I love praying the Memorari uh, to invite Our Lady uh, into all things that we do. She is our patroness here with Real Presence Radio. So please pray with me as we bring our time today with a close. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly into thee, O Virgin of Virgin, my mother. To thee do we come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petition, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning, this Tuesday morning with Real Presence Live. Have a great week. God bless you.